you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, we may be new children playing with toys, but we're here to touch your push, aren't we, Dom? With a fucking air horn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. This is the closest we're going to get to a soundboard. Uh, <laughs> why? Like, we're playing now. We record all our episodes through Discord because, you know, we're too lazy to actually show up at each other's houses. But we found that Discord now not only features, uh, like, shared YouTube viewing together, which I'm kind of curious about because does it carry to discord or does it not uh, we found out that we have a discord uh like soundboard effectively and there's a lot of random shit on there but at the same time like there's just the basics are a duck quack the hype air horn crickets golf clap sad horn and badumtus which i mean we're gonna get some music that one yeah it's so bad we, we're gonna have to behave ourselves uh, yeah we're here to talk to you aren't we tom yeah promise to use the soundboard sparingly yeah it feels like he's been a while. I don't know if it actually has been a while or just. Our last recording date was about six weeks ago, and somehow I feel like I've done nothing since then. And at the same time, I know I've done stuff since then because, like, I was taking notes to record for the podcast. But at the same time, like, I'm. If you ask me what I did, I just respond with shrugging shoulders. We said we'd use it sparingly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was teed up perfectly. Early. I've not done much. <laughs> I've just been, you know, plodding away. <laughs> it was perfect for a satellite. Right. I I will say that it is my personal bugbear when people overproduce podcasts, including using sound effects. So yep. <laughs> when I say we're using it sparingly, I'm saying we fucking don't use it at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm done. I'm done. I swear <laughs> I'm done. Dumb intro, man. <laughs> Oh, oh fuck! But that has got me in the mood. It's, it's good to talk to you again. Because I have um, I I've been basically missing recording the podcast. All I do is just sit and spin in my own thoughts, and it's been like weeks since we actually recorded. Middle of July, um, yeah. Which comes out at the end of July, and it's like, what have I done since then? Potato. <laughs> yeah. I find that even watching stuff, you just kind of go, "Am I watching this because I'm interested, or because there's nothing else to do?" Yeah, I, I feel that way about uh, like Disney Plus. Uh, what's on there right now is just kind of it, it's fine. It's not great though. Like it's not great television. It's not um, award winning. I mean, I'm watching um, Rome for the first time. Uh, yes, the BBC HBO series from like 2000, and it is fan fucking fantastic. But at the same time, I'm watching going. No one's ever gonna make this. It is no, no. It's un. It's unbelievable. I did not it because like it's. It's been the I've watched it all week. Um, and I finished the finale this morning, and yeah, ten out of ten would recommend. Um, if you like English actors speaking with Roman pacing, it's not like they're not speaking Roman, not speaking Latin or whatever, but there's a hmm. way that like people write Latin for television where it's just kind of fun, especially with English actors because there's something they're very committed to the bit, and nobody's like putting on a fake accent. It, like for some reason. The main characters, uh, Titus Pull and Lucius Freenus, basically feel like two English lads during the end of the Roman Republic, and uh, they're played brilliantly. I, it's Kevin McKidd and Ray Stevenson as yep. uh, Lucius Freenus and Titus Pull, but they are just having a fucking blast. Yeah. The entire show is so well done, and you really feel for the main 
uh, the main pair because uh, people will say, "Oh, maybe they're they might be considered the main character." I'm like, no, there's no ifs ands or buts about it. I'm here for them. I'm here for the boys in on tour with the Roman Legion. It's just fucking amazing the, the way yeah. they pull it off. But um, yeah, I mean, I, part of what impressed me was the the commitment to like practical sets because there's you know, they've actually built something for them to walk around in, as opposed to now where like you watch um, I mean, there's the Ashoka TV show that's on um disney plus which is like the new yeah. star wars thing and all of that is green screen and like huge chunks of stuff like um obi-wan kenobi are massive green screens because you can't build an entire city you have to make a certain like you have to you have to like green screen a certain amount of that show but with this it's like the green screen is very far off in the background but they've built like three blocks of a roman city for them to walk around in and it looks fantastic and everyone's wearing like proper costumes that are like, yeah. you know, it looks like Roman legionary gear, and it doesn't, you know, obviously not like a a CGI thing, like some of the new Marvel stuff. It's just you, you watch it, and you're like, oh wow, this this feels maybe not real, but grounded in reality. If that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, it, it's in terms of its plot and all the scheming and backstabbing, like this is the best. This is what I it, it's I savor it like steak. You know, it's it's so good to watch. This weird show of people like scheming and plotting and they're gonna all betray each other and stab each other or fuck each other and there's no telling which way it's gonna go at any given point but um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it because like the entire show you're watching the cast just like every now and again someone you can see is gonna dip into insanity and madness caused by the Roman system it's not about like what people have done to each other it's that you can't help but do horrible and fantastic and uh, yeah, I mean it's, it's on Amazon. Um, you have to buy a a, a subscription. To, I think it's called BritBox, and it's like uh, one of the, like Amazon channels or whatever it is. But you hmm. can get a one week free trial, and Rome is basically the only thing worth watching on there because I mean there's other stuff on there, but I mean everyone should have a Blackadder box set and a Faulty Towers box set as like yeah. It's a requirement for a British passport is that you have both those. So, yeah, I think to get. That should be the new standard, yeah. If you want to get into Britain at any point, you need to at least know who John Cleese and Rick Mayer are. <laughs> so I, I just I've been watching it, and it's been an absolute blast. Um, I, I think the best character though is Atia. It's uh, she's the the mother of like half the cast, and she fucks the other half. <laughs> she's just a fucking monster. She's the she's the epitome of just the worst of what Rome has to offer. But I think she's fantastic. Um, it's played by Polly Walker. I I don't actually think I've seen her in anything else other than this show, but I want to see more of her because she's so good at scheming. Is it's almost like um I, I also watched uh on Disney Plus uh Secret Invasion. There we go. But that's the point. Is yeah, I've watched Secret Invasion. I've forgotten about it already, and yet I can't yeah. stop gushing about a show from fucking twenty years ago. But yeah, she that's because I I remember watching some of Rome years ago just because uh the, the 13th roman legion like me and a bunch of our mates if like before rugby would all just be, like shout like 13th 13th all that kind of shit so i remember watching a few episodes of it and yeah i remember it being pretty fucking good even back then because it was early 2000s it was like oh there's some violence or some scheming it was a pretty good show a lot of sex but, as well i mean not yeah. gonna lie if i'd my dad watched the show and he's got the DVD set, and I'm like, Dad, what the fuck are you watching? 
<laughs> like I remember hearing the audio, like the the intro music, that kind of like uh the wire and the loot inspired music, and I was like, this is like my dad's watching this show about Roma. I didn't realize how much shagging was in it. <laughs> like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's it's like a, if I'd seen this at fifteen, I'd have fucking lost my shit. <laughs> yeah. Every, every other episode has some day with the tits out, and you're like. Jesus Christ, this is the best TV. 15-year-old me would have loved this show, and 33-year-old me is fucking... Actually, 32-year-old me is fucking loving it as well. I was about to say, like, I know we haven't recorded the while, but like, when did you age a year if you're now 33? <laughs> but yeah... Uh, I'm just not paying attention. Yeah, I get that. Fucking believe me, I get that. The thing about Secret Invasion is I knew from just everyone else I'd seen it that it was going to be bad. You watched it all just to have, you know, what the kids would call content nowadays. Uh, I tried to watch the first episode and I fell asleep. I dozed off. Uh, I just couldn't focus. I didn't give a shit enough about it. Like, the whole point of Secret Invasion is that the Avengers and the, all the superheroes are meant to be compromised in some way. They're meant to be either off-planet or they're meant to be taken over by scrolls, so you don't know who you can trust. Nick Fury could easily contact the remaining Avengers on Earth, and he could have solved that entire thing in a day. But, nah. Because he was like, nah, I need to do this myself. I, I mean, repeatedly, I, you, did you get past episode one? I mean, you fell asleep twice, but did you get past episode No, one? I didn't even get past episode one. Fell asleep uh, twice and gave up. Several times in the show, someone says, just call the fucking Avengers. And he says, no, this is going to be handled in-house. We're going to do this. This is going to be people solving problems. We can't just rely on the Avengers. We have to go by our own grit and guts, and we have to solve this problem ourselves. And you're like, just call the fucking Avengers, or I'm done with the show. And I say, like, you say I watched it uh, for content. No, I watched it a fucking spite at this point. Um, I <laughs> finished um, the, the final episode and was like, I don't know why I wasted my time. Um, you tapped out episode one very wisely um yeah. a friend of mine who's a probably the biggest marvel fan i can think of said that she got to episode four and was just bored for reference episode four features a terrorist attack on the president of the united states where he is shot and like basically attempted murdered by a private military company in front of the sas and in front of the u.s like special forces like the, the secret service and it features the dumbest gunfight of all time. But at the same time, I was watching it and thinking, I get it. I'm bored by this gunfight. There's nothing fucking going on here other than a bunch of dudes standing in a line, shooting at each other, and no one fucking dying and nothing interesting happening with camera work. It's just had a fake explosion, car flipped over. We got to get the president out and we'll form like a security detail to get him out the, out the SUV and out into a new SUV to get saved by special forces or whatever um and it's the most boring scene i've seen in television and at the same time it is like 30 people trying to murder each other with assault rifles i don't know how you make that shit boring but secret invasion somehow managed that it's unbelievable it's, yeah I, i'm and watching it saying i like i don't know how they made it this bad but I, I do feel like there's a number of uh, reshoots. I did see online that they've apparently had to reshoot a lot of the scenes because it got a little close, because a lot of it is based on Cold War dynamics, so the US versus Russia, 
the scroll are hiding in Russia and basically baiting the United States into nuking them, which is kind of convenient given that, you know, we're in the middle of the Ukrainian invasion uh, by Russia. And there's a lot of stuff there where they're like, it's a little too close to the bone for us to put it out as it is. They reshot a bunch of it and you can, you can see it. But at the same time, like from the ground up, the story has just been like completely mutilated. I mean, you could have a very interesting, like, the idea of the scroll shapeshifters being used to influence the Cold War is awesome. That is yeah. a great idea for a Marvel story, a Marvel comic book. I can see why it became like a big, uh, like, a storyline within, the, um, within uh, Marvel Comics. But at this, like, I'm watching it going, this is a complete fucking, like, snooze fest. Yeah. I, I don't care for anyone who's in it. I don't think, um, anything about it matters in the long run and that's what's weird about these uh mcu tv shows is that none of it fucking matters like it, it can't affect the canon storyline of the mcu movies because that would mess with the money yeah if disney think... had the actual fucking balls to do something with the tv shows it would drive people to the subscription service but they yeah, don't absolutely I think Disney massively shot themselves in the foot with Secret Invasion because the whole point of the Secret Invasion is literally everyone gets hit by it. Everyone gets compromised in some way that like you don't know who you can trust. There are some people that can detect scrolls, but they get taken out and they get replaced. It's not literally just Nick Fury going, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll fix this. It's everyone going, we need to route out the scrolls because you know they're literally trying to take over the planet. But what Marvel done is they said, no, there's good scrolls and there's bad scrolls. So what could have been a fairly interesting story about, you know, factions dividing, one's here to help, one's here to hurt, but people can't tell the difference between which, and there's no real, you know, who can I trust, who can't I trust, that kind of thing. I mean, They the, just remove that completely by having Nick Fury going, yeah, I've got this. Like, you clearly fucking don't. I mean, there, there is one, like, we can't trust who we think we can trust moment. Like, there are one or two characters who get, like, scrolled, but aren't, um, who they think they are. And it's, it's, it's Rory. It's, you know, it's War Machine. Yeah. And, like, they're playing it really well. Like, <laughs> Don Cheadle is fucking nearly as scroll himself, if that makes sense. But beyond that, there's no fucking point in doing it. I mean, they, they have Olivia Coleman in as, like, the British version of Nick Fury. And she's amazing. Like, I, I was talking about this because... I'd compare Atia's performance in Rome to Olivia Coleman as uh, Sonia Falsworth. Um, she's playing basically the MI6 version of Nick Fury. Yeah. And if she wants to be M, like in the next James Bond, like obviously James Bond is kind of in a weird transition stage right now. They're trying to recast the entire thing because Daniel Craig's done with it. If Olivia Coleman wants to be M, fucking let her do it. <laughs> she's going to be fantastic. She's the best part of the show. Um, but beyond that, like Samuel Jackson, it's still fun to watch him as Nick Fury. Um, I don't know what the fuck they were doing with Amelia Clark. I, it's just like she's supposed to be the savior of the scroll people. Um, but I, I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah. They fucking shot Kobe Smulders in episode one. I was like, fuck you. I'm so done with the series <laughs> from episode one. Yeah. Where you shoot one of my favorite cast members, where you just have. I quite like the idea that there's like the whole. MCU where you have all these superheroes and then there's like the human people who have to do paperwork and filing and bullshit and bureaucracy and nonsense because of what the superheroes do and for me that was Kobe Smulders 
like that was her character was this like human stuck between demigods who are like yes. smashing half the planet and I'm like you you took her out of this what was the point other than to make us feel like sad even though you didn't really do it right um but yeah i, I liked her in the mcu stuff and then they're like nah she's dead episode one fuck you yeah i think that's I, i'm gonna say that's about 85 percent that actor just wanted out they're just like, ah, oh, fuck it, just write me out. I don't, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> but it was mostly MCU going, no, let's 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 kill off this character and try and get sympathy, and it never fucking worked. There, like, there's an idea in uh, I'm not gonna lie, it's like a feminist idea. It's the woman in the fridge, and it's the idea that you use a woman as a victim of violence to inspire the men in the story to go and seek revenge, and that hmm. is the entire purpose. Of Kobe Smothers' character here, and I'm like, you could do a lot better with this character. Like, she's interesting. She's stuck again. Like, she's a human between two demigods that are smashing the planet apart. And you're like, oh no, she gets shot in Russia, and that's it. And there's a bit of a statement about, you know, U.S. uh, like service to the American cause or service to you know the Shield cause or whatever it is, um, in the name of like justice. And then like they just. They just kind of like say, okay, yeah, like she's a fallen soldier. That's it. like no, do something a bit better with. It. Yeah, because in the in the comics, she's uh, currently the director of Shield. Like Nick Fury's kind of went rogue and done his own thing, so she Maria Hill becomes director of Shield. But clearly, they've just. I think what the Mar- what Marvel try to do is they'll say, oh, we have this character, right? We're not going to do anything with them yet. We'll we'll keep the actor engaged. Then, oh, we'll bring them back for a TV show maybe six months down the line. They bring them back for the TV show, and I'm like, oh, you're bringing me back for this? Yeah, go and write me out. I don't want to be part of this anymore. I And it's just this kind of... It's the idea that you've been waiting so long for something, it shows up, and then it's shite. I think that's what they, they're doing with these sort of bit actors, the character actors in MCU. I was because you said they're, like, that they're kind of keeping them on, and I just thought of, like, how, you know... You have to maintain the hold over copyright by using an IP again and again. You yeah. have to keep making Disney stuff. You have to keep making like Cinderella every 25, 30 years to kind of keep copyright. It, do you wonder yeah. if it's the same thing with these characters? It's like, we have to keep that character in the loop, just going to keep them refreshed, even if they're not doing anything. They keep showing up. We have to keep the actor on the bill or on the, on the payroll, keep them coming back for more, just in case we need to use them 20 years down the line. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think that might be, right, we might have some use for Maria Hill because I guarantee if they want to use Maria Hill again, they'll cut to just saying the next Captain America, Sam Wilson says, ah, man, I could use someone of Maria Hill's skill set. They'll cut to, you know, five years previously during the secret invasion when Maria Hill gets shot and killed. They'll closely examine her blood and it'll be scroll blood. And that was a scroll that they killed and the real Maria Hill's out there somewhere. And they need to go and find her. Actually, because we can say it's not scroll because the scroll have purple blood or green blood. I yeah, they have like green blood. I can't remember. I don't fucking care. But they have a yeah. different color blood, and we saw red blood coming out of her, so they can't pull yeah. that bullshit. But I guarantee, at some point, someone will say, "We need a professional. We need the we need the boss." And out of the shadows will walk Kobe Smothers as Maria Held say, "Boys, I'm back in the game." And you're like. Yeah. Oh wow! What a great like fucking that. moment! Oh, what a great fucking moment from Marvel. You keep it in the phone fucking runs here. <laughs> yeah, you're keeping us guessing. We never seen this coming. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I'm calling this shot 
three to five years out, it's gonna fucking happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even calling it like the next Spider-Man film, which apparently comes out in 2024. I guarantee she's coming back in that. Well, you thought it was she's going to be the one that's sent to investigate Spider-Man, like this fucking rogue Spider-Man that's kicking about in New York now after the events in No Way Home and shit, or Far From Home. The question is, are you talk- actually you, you mentioned your point is that she's now the head of Shield. Does that mean they give her the because that's the introduction to Samuel Jackson and Nick Fury? Is a post-credit scene to introduce him to Iron Man, like yeah. the first Iron Man. Do you think they do that again with Maria Hill? Kind of hope they do, but uh, they probably won't. It's yeah, that's that's where I'm at with the MCU. Um, I checked yeah. in just to see what was going on, and I immediately checked out and finished the last series out of spite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thing I watched was. Guardians 3, and that was really good. I enjoyed Guardians 3, but nothing's really been up to that level since. I mean, uh, that's, that's James Gunn doing his own, like, farewell. and like. Yeah, that's James Gunn's swan song for Marvel. He's not going to be back at the helm of Guardians. Uh, I think the Guardians as a team are done. You'll probably see Rocket and... Rocket Groot and... Star-Lord show up in other things, but I guarantee you the rest of them are done. You're never going to get Dave Bautista back as Drax the Destroyer. I will um, I'll check it out. Oh, oh that's the last one I want to see um, just because, I mean, the Guardians are special. Um, I think again, with it being so tied to James Gunn, it's, it sits in a different league than yeah. whatever's coming out now because it's, it is directed with one vision. It's not, you know, the slop for you know the DC or the MCU. No, I said DCU there, but yeah, not the solo. It's because he's now head of the DCU. Yeah, true. Uh, which said, I've heard Blue Beetle's doing well, which is I'm glad of that. Because that's a weird hero. It's, it's an odd. Yeah. One. It's not even the weirdest version of that character as well. There's another uh, Blue Beetle uh, called Ted Cord, who's just a fucking weirder version of the Hispanic child with a. Alien technology scarab on his back. All right, <laughs> it's a weird like uh, character. Like obviously, like certain characters of certain things and stuff like that. You know, Iron Man's a billionaire. Captain America's the ultimate soldier. Uh, you know, Miss Marvel is the you know she's an alien superpowered uh, like Jesus effectively. You know, the Hulk is all about rage. But then it's like yeah, he, he's he's an Egyptian themed beetle. <laughs> Egyptian yeah. Beetle Man. I, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I I, th- I see him a lot in um the fighting games because he's it's one of those things where he's not like a major character. He's a bit more uh minor. He has um like a fan base. There's like hardcore fans of the Blue Beetle, but then it's, yeah. like, you have to explain what the Blue Beetle is to the main the mainstream fans of that. Makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's not something. But I think that's what James Gunn does so well. Is he takes these weird characters like the Blue Beetle, uh, like the Creature Commandos, and he takes characters like Swamp Thing that people think that they know, and he goes, no, 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 here's what you're missing, here's what you should be getting, and then people go, all oh, right, that shit's actually good, and yeah, people are really only going to know Blue Beetle from Injustice Two, where, you know, he's a good character, but he's not as good as say Superman or, I think, aye, Raiden is in Injustice Two, Raiden from Mortal Kombat, they're probably going to gravitate to those characters more than this. You know, kind of Iron Man looking dude. Yeah, I mean, 
that's um beyond that i don't think there's much coming out in terms of uh comic books i would say the writer's guild strike is on in america i mean they're like i want to say it's like a hundred days in or so um the writer's guild and then the screen actors guild is also on strike and i want to say they are only like a month or two in because that was around about the last recording session was screen actors guild is on strike um, yeah, because I remember seeing the uh, Killian Murphy walked out of a, a screening of Oppenheimer because, like, that's he was professionally required to be there, therefore it's uh, a requirement for him to leave as yeah. a member of SAG. So yeah, um, I'm interested to see what happens out of this writer strike. I mean, obviously, we t- I think we've talked about AI and what's going on and like the licensing rights that studios have over actors and writers and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I hope I, I'm on the side of the writers and the the actors and stuff because the studios can go fuck themselves. Um, yeah, but I'm curious th- to see what comes out of this. Yeah, I think the best thing to do, in my opinion, would be if you like a writer, you like their style, go and buy their back catalogue right now because that's what I've been doing. Uh, the during the writer the writer strike, I uh, I've been buying a shit ton of old comics. Uh, just because there's been nothing on TV and I've been burning through stacks of books for a while uh, to the point where I'm now kind of pre-ordering far ahead uh, just to, you know, keep the keep the books incoming. So I've went through went through a phase of just uh, pouring through what Chip Zdarsky's been doing because as you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I'm a huge fan of that guy. So I went and picked up uh, two of his Batman books that he's doing currently through the uh, the run, his run with DC, he's I think he's done something like twenty odd issues. I think the next set of issues is going to be coming out in September, October time. I'll definitely be picking that up. Uh, I burned through the last Ronin, read that cover to cover again because that genuinely might just be one of the best comic books I've ever read. Just from cover to cover, it is it's insanely good. It might feel a bit too much like the Dark Knight Returns for some people, but whereas the Dark Knight Returns is literally all about Bruce Wayne coming to terms with being Batman again, the Last Ronin is all about uh, the titular Last Ronin coming to grips with the loss of his brothers, the loss of his friends and his father, and his loss of New York City to this new version of the Shredder, and how he literally is accepting, you know, I can fix this, but I'm going to die in the process, and that's what I have to do. And it's all about him dealing with the trauma of that. As a so, reminder to the listeners, The Last Ronin is a comic book from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. Yeah. <laughs> that is, you it's literally, you've described it so well, and I don't know exactly what you're going for, but at the same time, like, it's a fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Yeah. <laughs> it is a teen, it is exactly. You're going to go into this thinking, oh, come on, how, how can the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles be you know this serious and this dark and gritty like just fucking read it you think their their teacher is a giant rat a giant new york city rat like yeah he gets some he gets a body count him and donatello fuck some shit up in japan during a part of the comic master splinter i think with one strike of his katana cuts off three people's heads but master splinter is fucking badass at the best of times but in the last ronin like it shows you how desperate or how powerful a Connor Drat really is. Pretty fucking awesome to read. Uh, the idea that you're going to cry manly tears for the TMNT Ninja Turtles. Yeah, is if you're a f- yeah, if you're a fan of the TMNT and you watched it growing up, you're going to read the last Ronin and go, "Holy shit! I 
didn't think I didn't need this, but holy sh fuck, I've read it now. But I've actually picked up something. Um, the comic called Mercy, hmm. by Mirka Andolfo. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but can't say I have. He's an Italian author of comics, and I am seriously impressed by his art style. Um, I just saw a couple like frames or a couple images out of one of his series, and it is it is gothic, it's dark, but it it feels like a great mystery. Um, hmm. I've not started it yet. I'm playing catch up with a backlog of manga and stuff that I'm yet to read, but I think this is a great series that I'm gonna have. Like I'm gonna check out this thing and I'm gonna check out more of his stuff. But I, I just wanted to. I was curious to see if he'd heard of him before. But it looks like a really good series. I published through um, Image. Image Comics, yeah. Yeah. Which is that like a I branch know. of DC or something like that? Image Comics is literally an offshoot of Marvel. It was a group of guys that were f all former Marvel and DC guys, and they were kind of if I remember right, I might be wrong about this, feel free to correct me if I am, but uh, it was a group of people that were kind of disenfranchised with all the comics code authority bullshit that they had to go through with Marvel and DC, so they grouped together and made Image Comics and their whole thing was, we're going to make non-comic code approved books that are going to be totally different from Marvel and DC Yeah, I'm looking at now best known publication could Spawn, Savage Dragon, Witchblade. Big fan of that. Yep. I watched the anime of that. <laughs> I'm not going to I've seen oh, the, some... the books are so much better. The comics are fucking better. The, the, the anime. I've seen some degenerate shit in my time. Yeah. <laughs> that was pushing it. Uh, Bone, The Walking Dead, Invincible. Uh, Saga, Jupiter's Legacy, Kick-Ass, Radiant, uh, Black, and Stray Dogs. That is a pretty damn heavy list of like good books. Um, yeah. We actually talked, uh, we saw that Invincible, uh, had the, the, like, there's a spin-off movie for Adam Eve. Yeah. That looks pretty good. Um, I'm going to watch that at some point. Um, again, like we talked about, like, when you find the good stuff nowadays, you're like, I can watch that. <laughs> like, it's definitely on the list. But um, I've been possessed with finishing Rome. Like, I have a week <laughs> to finish that before I have to pay for Britbox. So I'm, I finished that today, and Adam Eve, I think, might be, because uh, Netflix doesn't have much either. Yeah. Netflix, uh, if it wasn't for us always time in Philadelphia, I don't think I'd even use it <laughs> making my way back to that but uh, the Invincible Atom Eve special is, actually, is really good It's uh, I think it's an hour and 15 minutes just going into the backstory of Atom Eve and it's, it's pretty good uh, it's cool to see the, it's cool to see that the Invincible's universe isn't solely based on you know, here, here are the Viltrumites you know, yeah. we're going to take a look at other titular other side characters that are still as important, and I think there's more of those uh, one-shots uh, specials coming out. Uh, if I remember right, I think we're getting one based on Robot. Okay, yeah. yeah. And one based on... Who the fuck is it? I just want a Battle Beast special, that's what I really want. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be the other one, Battle Beast, because oh, that guy's yes. story is fucking awesome. Like, you, you... You didn't know the half of it. I was flicking through some random Invincible pages, I think it was on TV Tropes, and I'd just seen, I got caught in the bit on Battle Beast, who has his own section. And it was like, at, at one point, he, you know, he's sitting there after just laying with multiple mates, he gets attacked by a group of bandits trying to, you know, 
a group of bounty hunters try to take him in for the reward. He beats them all butt ass naked and then proceeds to go back into bed. Yeah, he like, he has definitely killed someone with his cock out. Like he has definitely yeah. walked in with an axe and his cock out saying, You're in trouble. <laughs> Ever since yeah. no, we can take him. No, you can't take this man. <laughs> nah. Sit down. I, I like Battle Beast. He is he's definitely maybe it's because it's like Beast in Black. I think of him as like the main character of like their album. He could easily be like kind of guts from Berserk. He's just more kind of. Oh, he's more Zod the Immortal. He just wants to yeah. find he's strong actually, opponents. Zod is the perfect like uh, version of him because it is Zod is on the quest to find a, a true opponent, somebody worthy of killing him. And you're like, yeah, yeah that's that's uh, that's Battle Beast from Invincible. I think he's he's so good. He's but he is like a paramental character. Like he doesn't really feel like a real person. He's just like uh he's something you hear about in history books rather than actually yeah. seeing as a real person. Man, fucking and, I, I really and even his it. artwork in my mind doesn't belong in a comic like he should be on metal album covers there should be a wall with his image painted like 30 yep. feet high <laughs> here he held the army at bay <laughs> the yes. invading army was stopped by the battle beast <laughs> it's just him covered in blood and gore and just saying yeah what next <laughs> bored <laughs> yeah but yeah, I, I want to see the the origins of Atme. I mean, I mean, just like a little bit of like her her life outside of the Invincible yeah. franchise. Because like, if the TV show has to keep going, and I hope there's a season two, is that continues that main storyline, doing offshoots of different characters is a great way to mm. kind of flesh out the universe. I think it's the right the right move in a sense. Yeah, and no. the the good thing about Invincible is that it's a closed story. They can take it. I mean, they could do a a good omens and take it to a certain point and then maybe continue after the source material but after watching good omens season two i don't really think that's a good idea uh, i meant to ask you about that because i saw it was advertised so i was like watching rome on amazon and they're like oh good omen season two and you were very big on season one and i saw season two is available what are your yeah, thoughts yeah we'll, we'll get into that but <laughs> we'll get into that uh i like i was saying the good thing about invincible is it's, it's, it's finished they can just they can pick and choose, like, here's what we want to take to tell our story. We don't really need to add this because it doesn't really add much, or they can add in as much as they want from the, sort of the other characters as, as they like. Kind of what they're doing with the boys. They're, with the boys, they're really picking and choosing from the source material what's going into the show. But that's because even the writer of the boys' comics just says that he's not proud of half the shit they put in the books. He just did it because he wanted to rip the piss at superheroes. Which, I mean, which is fine. But yeah, I th I think uh, after because we're getting two more seasons of Invincible, it'd be cool to see how far they go into the whole, but uh, into the canon. I think you could with, finish with the it. series. Given how fast, like season one moves at a decent pace. There's a lot of stuff about him going to college and stuff like that. But now that it is now just Ultramites versus Invincible. Once you get into that, there is like I'd say there's two seasons worth of storyline, even yeah. allowing time for fucking around and doing sad little moments and like little like, oh, like the world's in danger. But what about my date with Adam Eve? You know that type of bullshit that you find in comic books and manga and anime and stuff like that. I think there's enough room for that plus two seasons of the main story because I've yeah. I've list I've not actually watched I've not read all Invincible. I've seen like the breakdown of like where the story is. I'd say you've got enough time to do all that. Yeah, and I think for definite they'd cut out the, the time travel arc because at one point uh, 
Mark Grayson goes back in time to uh, see if he can stop his dad killing the, the Guardians of the Globe, which I think it'd be interesting, but at the same time, I can't see them devoting enough time for Mark Grayson to go back in time and then do all this, basically do season one again. Yeah. So. Although it would be fun to see, like, in the middle of the murder of, of the Guardians of the Globe, like, him just smack his son back into the real time of, like, stay in your fucking lane. Yeah. <laughs> I am J.K. Simmons, bitch. I will put you back in line. Yeah. <laughs> like, I went through Mortal Kombat for this shit. You sit the fuck down, boy. I'd love to see him throw a chair at him, like he did. <laughs> like he just throws a chair as a reference to that fucking movie. Oh, I forgot the movie. Um, Whiplash? Was, Whiplash, yes. He won, a, I was like, he won a fucking Oscar for it. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, the... Just as a Whiplash reference, just throws a fucking chair at him. It's so fucking good in that scene. <laughs> it just comes out of nowhere that he's just like angry at a guy. He's like, you know what? Fuck you. Throwing a chair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I mean, like, I, I recommended uh, Invincible to a, a friend just because I'm like, you need to see how violent it's willing to be. And I'm not yeah. used to a show being, like, it's a comic book, it's it's an animated show, and yeah, you can take certain liberties with uh, violence and that type of genre, but like, seeing it come through as like, just, like, him smashing his son through a train is fucking unreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, like, oh, it can't be that bad. No, it is horrible. <laughs> yep. It is the body parts, the limbs, the, the fucking human juices flying out of everybody as he holds his son through a train. <laughs> it's going at max yeah. speed. It's, it's unreal, and it was a great show, and seeing it do a season two and even three to actually finish off the, the Ultimate storyline is... I, I really yep. hope they just finish it, nail it, and you say, like, it's a cool story, it's finished, it's a done thing, it's a fully told story. Just do that. Like, yeah. do your spin-offs, that's cool, I'm cool with that, but actually just finishing a story is so important these days, because I feel like people let things run on for far too long. Yeah, and I feel that with it being closed and finished, you've got all this source material to drop on, because in my opinion, you then run into the, the Good Omens problem, which, uh, yeah, you're right, uh, first season of Good Omens, great, uh, it is, you can literally see the Terry Pratchett influence in it, uh, and, you know, Neil Gaiman being in there to kind of guide it along, actually kept it so close to what Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett wrote in the book that it works really, really well. And I think the one of the main advantages to the show, or benefits of the show, was not focusing on uh, the, the main characters, Aziraphale and Crowley, for the entire series. You'll They'll be there and doing stuff in the background, but it'll focus on... Uh, like the Witchfinder General and how the fight, how he's trying to, you know, keep the Witchfinders going in modernity, which you know is is pretty funny. But then you've got uh, the the uh, the Antichrist, who's just a ten year old boy who lives in somewhere in England in the countryside, and then you've got the demon side of things. You've got the angels, and both are as inept as each other, and it all kind of culminates in this big set piece at the end, and it, and it works really well because you see all the different strands and shreds of the story coming together. And it's all pushed through this lens of, you know, these two idiots were meant to stop the apocalypse, but they actually kind of helped it along by them being completely inept. Uh, and then it goes to season two, where there's, in my opinion, there's no, there's no source material for it. It's all Neil Gaiman just writing shit out and uh, making it up as it goes along. Quite frankly, because there was no, there was no books 
past the first one and they've covered the first one. There might be some other stuff left that they cut out that they've added back into season two, but ultimately it's all just Neil Gaiman making shit up. And I think they, in season two, they give us too much of Aziraphale and Crowley because you see them... In fact, I think in every episode you get at least a good 20-minute chunk of those two just talking, which is good because David Tenton, uh, Michael Sheen, really good actors, but it goes a bit too much in that in that direction and it gets a bit fan servicey. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it feels a bit wanky. Like you're just letting the author speak through the characters and just aspire philosophy and stuff, and you're like, yeah. I-, I don't need this. Like, get on with the story. You know, get on with the the plot. The, yeah. You know, what's the point in this? You don't have one. Yeah, and and that was another thing. The main plot device of this series is that, because uh, at the end of the first series, the angels and the demons come to a ceasefire. Like they're not going to try and jumpstart the apocalypse. Because, you know, just because they were told to do it, they've actually gained a bit of autonomy. It's like, no, nah, we don't need to. We'll come to a truce, you know, because if we don't, these two, uh, Zerophil and Crowley, because they fucked around with them, made them believe that they were stronger than they actually are. Like, these guys will get involved and we don't want that, that kind of thing. Probably butchered the story. Definitely have, but we'll continue. Uh, so in season two, the angels and the demons have started having meetings again. It's like, right, we need to kickstart the apocalypse. And they have meetings back and forth, and uh, Gabriel, who is the head honcho just kind of goes, nah, I don't want to. And then you find out through the story that he was, he's was he been meeting with one of the other demons and they kind of build up a relationship. And then there's this whole thing of, oh, an angel and a demon can't be friends. I see where you're going with this. You didn't need eight episodes to explain that opposites can attract. You, you didn't need to set this up. This didn't need to be said because there was, when you realise that the angels are looking for the missing Gabriel. They find them on several occasions, but because of some spell, they they can't. They don't know it's him. And then the demons are looking for him because they believe if they offer him up, it could be good. They give him over as a sacrifice, it could be good. So there's no real stakes. It's yeah. not you know we need to get Gabriel back to heaven, otherwise everything's going to implode. Or we need to get or if we turn Gabriel into a demon, we can be the most powerful beings on the planet. There's no stakes. It's just it's literally of, just. It'd be a good idea if we did this thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's basically the most middle management meeting. It's like, it would be good if we did that. We don't need to, but it'd be good if we could. And that's not to say it was, it was completely bad. There are some really funny moments in it. Like, uh, again, David Tennant and Michael Sheen act their arses off in this. Like, they come away with some really, really funny things. Uh, John Hamm, as an, uh, as an amnesiac angel, he he gets he gets some pretty funny lines in as well. Uh, Miranda Richardson, yeah, Miranda Richardson. She was back. She's back playing Crowley's replacement demon. And again, that woman could read out the phone book in a funny voice, and I would find it. I would think it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. So there's good performances. Ultimately, the story just kind of fell flat for me. It, it didn't need to. It didn't need to be. Like the sto- season two didn't need to happen, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't see. I mean, like you said, season one was really good, and it follows like source material, and it it plays with that a little bit, and it's it's fun and interesting. And then it's like, oh, there's a season two, and then you ask why, and immediately the whole thing falls off. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, <laughs> and that was definitely definitely my my feeling, my thoughts behind it. it was just the minute I started questioning, like, why did this need to happen? I mean, it was cool com- living in. 
bonus and traveling through Edinburgh all the time, it was cool to see that holy shit, that's you know David Tennant and Michael Sheen standing on the stage at the Hippodrome Cinema in Bonnes. That's David Tennant and Michael Sheen standing on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. That's them in a pub in Edinburgh. But it's not that big a deal. I don't really. If I didn't see it, I wouldn't be disenfranchised. I wouldn't be disadvantaged. And having seen it, I don't gain any advantage from it. Yeah, I, I'm in the middle of a couple of things right now where I'm reading books or I'm watching TV series. And when I ask the question, why does this exist? It immediately falls apart. Uh, reading a lot of uh, Philip K. Dick stuff at the moment, or listening to audiobooks yeah. for it, and I'm reading um, called I read Ubik. That was that was good. I, I enjoyed Ubik. It was a bit kind of surreal, but it kind of mm. felt like uh, Paprika, um, the Satoshi Kon movie, where it's it's all kind of like, oh, yeah. what is reality? And you're kind of left there feeling like kind of I, I don't know what's real and what's not, and I enjoy that feeling. But I'm reading, I'm listening to Valis at the moment as part of a, a trilogy. That Philip Kiddick wrote, and it is basically someone having a—I mean this in the nicest way possible—a schizophrenic meltdown, and they believe that they have contacted God, but they also know a lot about God, and it's—it feels like Philip Kiddick is just slamming you with all the philosophy lessons, all the um religious uh, like uh, what is that called again? Like we did these classes in high school where it was uh, arm. RMPS, RMPS, yeah, yeah, religious moral, religious moral philosophical studies. Um, yeah. It feels like he's hit you with every lesson from that class he's ever learned, just because he can. And I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like I don't, I'm, I'm like, there's an hour left of the audiobook for me, and I'm like, this better fucking nail the landing because if I've just had to listen to this bullshit for like the last five six hours, I'm done. Like I, I've got the rest of the trilogy and I. If this doesn't nail the landing, I'm not listening to the rest of it. I don't mind buying it. I don't mind wasting the money. But at the same time, like this book has just been nothing but a lecture on philosophy from somebody who I don't really enjoy in terms of like their, their views on philosophy aren't like eye-opening and groundbreaking and stuff like that. Because I hmm. do enjoy a good uh, philosophical argument and a good uh, like ideas brainstorming session. But there's nothing here that I'm like. It, it's just he's just citing other people's ideas. And I'm like, what is the fucking point in this? And I feel like yeah. if you start asking that question of what is the point to a lot of media, you end up being like, oh, there was no point. There was no lesson. There was no idea here. Yeah. And that's not that's not to say that, you know, shit with no point can't be fun. I mean, I finished reading the, uh, again, I'm going through a bit of a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing right now, uh, all brought on by Shredder's Revenge, the side scrolling beat 'em up that was put on Game Pass. Uh, so after reading The Last Ronin, I've always known about the Batman crossover with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew there was a movie, and I, uh, and I went on Amazon and was like, okay, I'll see if I can find the film. Found the film, haven't watched it yet. But I did buy the Batman TMNT crossovers 1, 2, and 3, and I read them all pretty fucking quickly because uh, they were all just really, really fun books. Again, it was like seeing... Like we talked about with Exoprimal, it was guns and dinosaurs, giant robots and dinosaurs, like two of your favourite things slammed together. There's no real point in those books. Uh, at the end of each book, it's all wrapped up and finished quite nicely. Uh, there's no real need for a sequel, but the fact that there is a sequel, you do kind of get something out of it just purely by how fucking balls-to-the-wall nuts it is. Like, there's no, There was no... No nutritional value in that. If they were food, it would quite literally be a bar of chocolate. 
eat it, you feel good, but at the end of the day, you don't, you don't really get any benefit from it. But I think that's the, the core of what we're talking about here, is that you can have silly fun, and that's fine. Yeah. But you can't be, like, banking philosophical for, like, four, four fucking hours, and yeah. then say, like, oh, no, but it matters, or it was just a bit of fun. Like, you have to, you yeah. need to have a purpose, some yeah. key to, like, a good piece of media. I think that's, you know, yeah. whatever you enjoy listening, watching, it's, it should be either a purpose, or it should just be, it should be something entertaining and fun. But there's a certain point where somebody just goes off the rails and decides, I'm just going to wank for four fucking hours and you're going to deal yeah. with it. It's not my problem anymore. And you're like, you have wasted my time. Yeah. At that point, it's just someone going, here's what's on my mind. You will sit and listen. Yes. Like every, like every YouTube philosophizer that you see. Here's, here's my opinion. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the worst one that I've seen was some Andrew Tate motherfucker talking about how uh, that young men particularly these days are weak and ineffectual men because they don't have emotional control. They've just been let they've been told to cry. You know, they've been told to let their emotions loose. There's no uh, there's no control with these young men. And he went on for about 20 minutes about how we need all this, we need to be we need to suffer and all that shit. And at the end of it, he just said, not that that matters, though. Like, so you've just went through a half an hour diatribe about how we need to control our emotions better, which is true, but I, I don't like you, so I wouldn't agree with you in public. Uh, I think it actually was Andrew Tate, and, you know, watching him speak is like watching a dog speak in perfect English, because it shouldn't happen. You don't really care that it's happening, but it's fun to watch. It, it's not saying anything of value, but it's fun to watch. At the end of his speech, he's just kind of went, yeah, but not that any of this matters. None of what I've said matters. Well, why go through all that shit? You're just trying to sound smart. I, I have a hundred things to say on this topic, and uh, I want to start with the first thing, is that I am reading The Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which is a, a foundational oh, text. Yeah, I've, uh, I bought that book a while ago. It's foundational text in Stoicism, and yeah. the first thing I've realized is that Stoicism is being taught wrong. Um, yeah, absolutely. The idea that you are like you're just unreactive to everything is so wrong. The idea that Aurelius puts forward is that you will have to, you will have horrible situations in your life. These will affect you. the The key point that most people, I think, mistranslate is the idea that you will be faced with these circumstances, and the idea is that you will not react to it. But at the same time, people read that as you will not deal with it at all. Yeah, what he puts forward in there, it's a very well made point, is that you will have to deal with these ideas, you will have to, like, in the moment, you'll have to deal with it in a practical sense, like uh, put your affairs in order, but then he doesn't say to just not process the pain caused by horrible situations, but you will have to deal with that later. You have an immediate practical yeah. responsibility to deal with the situation at hand, and then afterwards, these things will have to, you will have to let these things kind of wash over you in the moment, but then you'll have to process them later. And that's the key thing I think most people mistranslate about like, all this, like, oh, it's the stoic values. And I'm like, I actually I do enjoy about stoicism. I think it's an interesting philosophy and an idea that you can have um, like a certain worldview and that these things, everything is temporary. Everything will pass. You will yeah. survive everything until you die. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why I got into stoicism is just because I, can't, I thought it was a I was at a better point where I needed a bit of, you know, 
sage like wisdom and then i found stoicism and then the more i read it the more it made sense to me i was like yeah i, I get this but it was never to me that it was never like you said this whole you know i will face this with you know stoic values and you know what you're saying will not affect me it's more of a case of i want to control my you know my own emotions to the extent where the bullshit that you're spouting at me won't affect me because i know better yeah, you control it's the not, you control the immediate response and yeah, then you deal it's with it's not the, it's not the case that you just take everything and it just washes down it's a case of you're not making fool out of yourself by someone saying you know immediate verbal threats to you you're processing it at your own speed without any external noise mm -hmm. like, it's all coming from you it's like that kind of Miyamoto Musashi uh yeah another uh practicing stoic like there's nothing outside the self conquer the self and you've conquered everything yeah and it's interesting and I feel like if you are curious and interested about it you should definitely do some like real reading don't listen to someone talk about it yeah actually read it for yourself and come to your own value on these these ideas but yeah. the, the Andrew Tate thing is fucking weird because yeah, that guy's a fucking moron. I I, I have um I went through some stuff that maybe people might consider alt right some manifest stuff to just see what's going on in the in the, the dialogue and like what it means to be a person. I mean, there's some a lot of stuff right now. This is so fucking stupid because we're gonna talk about this later on. I I watched Barbie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I watched Barbie, and there's a lot to say about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man, and I I think there's a lot to actually discuss in that topic and. As things change, as society changes around you, you have to look at what it means to be a man or a woman, or what it means to be a person or alive, or whoever you are. What it means to be you is changing right now around you, and that's interesting. And what you read about that, and what you read from the ancients, and what you read from current contemporary philosophers is interesting and should inform your opinions, but it's ultimately up to you as a person to decide what you mean. Yeah. But it, if you follow Andrew Tate, you're fucking dumb. <laughs> Yeah, if you follow Andrew Tate, stop. Right. It's like watching a dog that can speak English. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I've seen a lot of stuff about like his videos. I've watched some of his clips, his content, his 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 speeches, his, his diatribes on manliness. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this man was professionally kicked in the head for several years. I'm yeah. not listening to you as a philosopher. Fuck off. He <laughs> must have been. And no, he, he was. Of... He was a, 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 a kickboxer, and he's a, a Muay Thai kickboxer or something like that. He's He's involved in some martial art, and that's where he gains his uh, his his martial values that he aspires nowadays. And obviously, now it's it's put into modern day like neo neoliberal capitalism and stuff like that. Yeah. But obviously, he's a very conservative streak about how women should behave and how men should behave. And like, okay, that's weird. But at the same time, you were professionally kicked in the head for several decades. I don't think your thought process is a hundred percent. I want to see something yeah. a bit more, you know cerebral and observant and as to his life and his stuff is just fucking wild and the idea that yeah. there are young men out there listening to his his every word is a little alarming I, I find it very kind of strange that he has become this kind of uh lightning rod of opinions and ideas and it's it's interesting because yeah. like i actually heard somebody referred to as having andrew tate vibes in my, at my work and i'm like that that's an interesting insult i find that very it's very kind of it says a lot, and I know exactly what you mean when you say that. But at the same time, yeah. I find it a bit odd that I mean, he's such a a central point in cultural discussion. Yeah, he's a it, fucking it, moron. It annoys the hell out of me because I'm not gonna lie. If I worked with someone that a colleague of mine would describe as having Andrew Tate-esque vibes, I'd fire them immediately on the fucking spot. Because there's, like you said, 
I didn't know that he was a professional kickboxer, but I always knew there was something not right with him. So knowing that he's been kicked in the head professionally for a few years makes a whole lot of sense. But I think part of the reason why I watch his stuff every now and again, it's not religious or anything like that, because fucking hell. I think my brain would turn to mush if I had to watch his stuff. But I think I just watch it every now and again, because I, I'm i not going to say stuff like, oh, you know, I'm a practicing stoic, so I like to keep up with, you know, all sects of it, but I, I like to, I attach some stoic principles to my life just because it makes sense to me. And I watch a lot of a, a guy called, I think it's Ryan Halliday or Holiday. He is, he runs a website called The Daily Stoic, and quite a lot of his stuff has helped me personally, so I get a lot of, you know, recommendations. And to see that there's people on his videos saying, you know, Andrew Tate said this, don't listen to this guy. <laughs> Remember what I said about the analogy of the dog speaking English? Listen to the dog over him, right? If my 16-year-old Jack Russell could speak English and he was talking about stoicism, I'd listen to him over this bald, apparently cancer-ridden fuck. <laughs> I, I, I just... It, it's fascinating, and it's a shame that some people will be interested in ideas that are so wide-reaching and so um, influential as stoicism through a fucking moron when you yeah. have you know genuine like marcus aurelius you have a lot of uh like computing scholars as well like yeah you've read in different mytho like different ideas different culture different um mythologies that are raised with that have all these different values and they all come to the the point of view of stoicism and that's that's fascinating or we all kind yeah. of branch it together as stoicism and you get these different ideas but the idea that it comes from that guy i'm like Nah. I mean, if hard. you're talking to me about Stoicism and you don't drop the names Marcus Aurelius or Seneca or uh, Seta, like if you don't drop any of those names in conversation and you say, oh yeah, I got all my stuff from Andrew Tate, again, walk away from me because I don't want to hear anything that's coming out of your mouth. I will sit your ass down with a grown-up book and we will discuss yeah. it after you've finished it. <laughs> yeah, I have the audiobook of uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, and I also have a physical copy. I will make you listen to both. I will make you read and listen to them both at the same time, just so it all sinks into your brain. Because Meditations is some... It's it's an old book. I don't know the exact age of the book. You probably know. I mean, Marcus Aurelius is a Roman emperor, so it's probably yeah. several thousand years old. Right? Yeah, it's an ancient, ancient text. Still more relevant then than that fucking idiot has to say. He was, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was caught out by, what is it, Romanian pizza delivery guy or something like that? That actually was a, a lie. That was a weird one where it would be, I really wanted it to be true, but it wasn't true. And I'm so sorry that it's not. But he basically, I mean, the, the idea was that um, he posted an image of himself shit-talking uh, Greta Thunberg. And she, she said, basically, he's a fucking moron. He shit-talked her back. And that they found out who, like, where he was based on a pizza box that he had. Therefore, he must be in this area. Therefore, that's where he's hiding out. And unfortunately, that's not true. The police knew where he was the entire time. Like, there was genuine surveillance work put into identifying and finding him because he was the head of a, a prostitution network and human trafficking network. Um, allegedly, yeah. I'm going to throw that in there just for legal disclaimers. But allegedly, he was involved in all this stuff. Uh, he's now been released. And um, as far as I'm aware, like charges are still there, but not fully processed. If that makes sense, like he's still yeah. there's other stuff going on in the background. But uh, Marcus Aurelius was alive from 121 to 180 uh, Common Era, so he was 
Um, obviously, like again, just under two thousand years ago. Um, yeah. But these ideas stand the test of time, as far as meditation. They're timeless. And that's what's interesting about these uh, Roman authors is that I'm, I'm also got um, a few by um, Cicero, and mm. it's Cicero's uh, how to make friends and how to make jokes. And it was the idea that he would just have these ideas, he would just write them down as he's going through. As I say, I'm watching Rome. Cicero is a character in Rome, and he's quite a fucking character because he's just he's he's very kind of like he's the dweeb. He's part of the Senate. He's a but he's a, a man of philosophy and letters, whereas everyone else around him is a man of action and murder. Uh, and like again, like he's a great character. The the actor playing is fantastic. But the idea that you have someone who is writing and thinking, and they'll casually just write down these ideas that two thousand years ago come down to us as these ideas of philosophy. But like this was just like a scribble in a notebook. At the same yeah. time, like nobody thinks that way anymore. It's quite a shame. Yeah, that's what I like about Marcus Aurelius. People herald it as this, uh, you know, quite rightly so. They herald it as this font of knowledge, but it was literally just him writing, writing notes down. Like, I have some ideas about this. I would just note it down, and it survives. You know, two thousand yeah. years and becomes a foundational text in philosophy. All yeah. these years later, and it's it's good. Um, I quite like these old Roman writers. They're uh, it's a bit odd. Um, I actually quite like the the Cicero uh, text that I have because it's. The left-hand side page is the original Latin. The right-hand side is a modern translation. And um, the, one of the first things that kind of half threw me off was the fact that someone referred to something as shtick. And I'm like, there's no way. Th- there's a Latin for shtick. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see it written down, but I can't find the exact translation. But um, I'd love to see like the, the, the Latin for shtick. He's doing a bit. He's having... <laughs> You know, I, it's 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 fun. Well, old Cicero's up to his usual shtick again. But um, yeah, these these old Roman uh, philosophers and stuff are they've interesting ideas, and it's some of it's like not right. It's not wrong, but it's not you, you can't yeah. quite gel it to your modern sensibilities. But it's interesting to see that different philosophy, those different that different mindset is what gets me. Is that you know, um, and we were talking recently. Actually, not me, you, but it was uh, a friend and I were talking about a Japanese term, and it's the word nakama. And it's the idea of like a deep, true, tested friendship. And hmm. her insistence was that there's nothing in English that translates to Nakama. I said, you're not right. You're not wrong, but you're not right. Um, it's just that we don't use those terms anymore. And there's an old term, uh, there's old terms on the lines of like Oath Brothers or Shield Brothers that because hmm. we're not a martial society anymore, it doesn't translate to the idea of like Nakama, which is again like that that you know it's it's friendship bonded in the fires of war. Like it's, it's it means something more. You've you've had some stress that you've been through as friends, and that you still have faith and trust in one another. But she was insistent. There's nothing like Nakama, and I said there is something out there. It just we don't use it anymore because it just doesn't gel with the current times. I think the same ideas translate to current uh like from current ideas to like Roman philosophy. And these ideas are like the ancient Greeks and stuff like that, where, I mean, cynicism. People will say, oh, I'm a cynic. And I'm like, I don't think you know what the term cynic means in, like, the old the old tongues, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, again, cynicism, it's, it's, I wouldn't apply it to everything in my life because I'd be exhausted trying to apply cynicism to everything I do. But having a little bit of cynicism in you in a uh, philosophical sense is very handy. I quite, I, yeah. again, like, again, you say, um, I don't, I'm not like a practicing stoic, I'm not a practicing cynic, but I apply ideas from those ideas um, 
to my life and I find it helps and guides me a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think I cherry pick the good parts and I think that's I think that's the whole point of it. And I mean in my mind anyway, it, you you're not gonna find guidelines or, you know, an exact layout for how you should carry yourself day to day, but you find bits and pieces here and there, and that'll that'll build your version of stoicism. Because there's no one track way of being a stoic. It's you kind of pick and choose here and there. Just don't start with Andrew Tate. Yeah, just don't start <laughs> with Andrew Tate. Fuck that guy. I don't know how we got so deep and philosophical, but I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's I have been reading around the, the subject of stoicism. I've been uh, kind of keeping up to date with it for a while and I haven't really mentioned it to anyone now that I know that there's someone else that can, you know, that knows about that thing. I'm like, oh, cool, I can talk about it here and I don't ever get the really, really the chance to talk about it. It's like when you go to your first convention, you're like, holy shit, these people like what I like. Hmm. I know the feeling. Um, it's one thing I quite cher- I cherish these moments of realising how many geeks there are out there. Um, yeah. I, mean, I say we've had a bit of a renaissance of geekdom at my work and you realize how many people are just fucking nerds and you're like i love you all i really i yeah. really do i i can't help but really enjoy your company now that i know that you're a fucking loser like me um yeah. but that was probably one of the deepest moments of my life in a weird way was uh when the first time i hung out with a group of friends at warhammer world and we're <laughs> super thing like we're going to a central location centered on the idea of buying models and like basically buying toys and we're, hmm. we're all in this weird kind of uh like the center this mecca of like nonsense effectively and then all of a sudden it's like realizing i was walking out there and leaving there and i would see them again and they're all good friends we're all still kind of like vaguely in touch with each other but the idea that like i i'd never felt so accepted in, uh, for my weirdness before because obviously we grew up in a small town didn't really have much of a way of a, a geek scene I don't think there's anything there now um, but the idea that you're not alone as a nerd, as a weirdo, as a loser it's so, like the idea that you're not alone is so good it's so, yeah. makes you feel comfortable the idea that it's not just you with this yeah. weird I, like fascination yeah I mean going back to books again just because it's it's kind of a obsession right now i was buying uh berserk i think i and i was just kind of looking through the stalls i was trying to find berserk number five and i just got randomly chatting to someone who was looking for berserk number one i said i it took me ages to get berserk number one especially the deluxe edition and this turned into about a 45 minute conversation and i was recommending them books i was like the the elder like the elder nerd just going, Oh, if you're into Spider Man, try this, this, and this. If you're into Batman, try that, that, and that. If you like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, try this and that. Ensemble, like, and it went on for quite a while. And uh, at the end of it, he just kind of looked at me and said, If I bought everything you just recommended, it'd be over 400 pounds worth of comics. I don't think I can swing that today. And I can end up walking out with three different books that probably just barely equaled the cost of one book. <laughs> deluxe edition of berserk but yeah it's, it's always good to find i think like with because we're, we're metalheads and we are uh we're, we're nerds and stuff like that. i think when we find more people in our tribe we just kind of go right you friend you come here we talk about berserk we talk about fact that berserk ends like 
Yeah, and it just it just becomes this kind of communal thing. And again, the idea that you you hide that part of yourself, and then all of a sudden you get a chance to express it, and you just can't help yourself. Like it, yeah, you genuinely can't stop talking about the thing that you love. Yeah, and, and, yeah, that, that's definitely what happened there with with the old stores and conversation. <laughs> so I went to see Barbie. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I did, I did Barbenheimer, the full uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie experience, which I, I do find it hilarious that the internet was just like, we'll just shove these things. Um, and I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll, I'll go for it. Um, Oppenheimer's great. Um, it's it's a very good film in terms of like how it's put together, the way the story comes together towards the end. My only problem is that someone needs to like rein in Christopher Nolan. Um, I, I feel like he sees that the idea that there's this intense story just like i mean we're still living in the shadow of the nuclear era um especially with like russia's invasion of ukraine russia threatens to nuke everybody every other fucking week um and i i just i, I watch this movie and i'm like you could make your point of this movie which is the idea that obviously the nukes are a horrible philosophical fucking nightmare and that you can end all war and all life on this planet with the push of a fucking button and the idea that that's out there and what it means in terms of like the 1940s and what it meant to people dealing with World War Two. I mean, I've talked to people who, um, it's actually a, another colleague at work who was asking about Oppenheimer and the atomic bombs and said, well, actually, what was going on before the atomic bombs was actually kind of worse in a way in that like the Americans were firebombing Japanese cities and killing hundreds of thousands of people every day in the attempt to break Japanese morale and make the Japanese surrender before they had to actually invade because the invasion of Japan would have cost several million lives on the Allied front and would have cost the lives of millions of lives on the Japanese front. So it's like the, the atomic bomb was a, a design to end the war by shock and awe. And they do a really good job of portraying the idea that this is something that everyone's wrestling with at the same time as they're struggling to actually make it work. But I feel like Christopher Nolan said, I have an intense story and you really need to up the, the ante in terms of like the intensity on screen. Didn't need to do that. His entire cast is fantastic. They're acting their balls off. Killian Murphy has been fantastic. I've been really enjoying uh, Peaky Blinders. It's a show that a lot of people bounce off of, but he's fantastic in that show. And he brings hmm. all of that fucking quality of his act to the role of Oppenheimer. Robert Downey Jr. is a total fucking cunt in this movie and you want to slap the shit out of him um <laughs> every every like side scientist everyone who kind of pops up for five minutes feels like a real person that we just happen to see a snapshot of before they contribute their part to the development from and i mean matt damon is in this movie and he's fantastic and for some reason i still think of the the uh team america skip about matt damon just being <laughs> able to say his own name matt damon <laughs> That's, i still think of matt damon as that but at the same time, he's playing this U.S. Army colonel who is forced to just kind of handle and deal with the Manhattan Project and Oppenheimer yeah. and all these egos. And he's, he's fucking great in this movie. He's just so fed up the entire time of Oppenheimer and his bullshit. Yeah. And his, his weird communist rhetoric at points. And like his, like the entire, the, the movie is so good. But Nolan just decides to go for the, like everything is, like at points, stuff is cranked to 11. And it doesn't need to be. A friend of mine said she wrote to see the movie, but she knows like in IMAX she'd be overwhelmed 
like what's on the screen at the same time. And I'm watching it in a regular cinema. I uh, watched it at the cameo who host uh, Scotland Loves Anime. I've booked my week off for that. Uh, so I'll see as much as I can for the, the anime film festival in Scotland every year. But I, I watched it there and I was just like, I'm feeling it in the fucking face. Like the, there's a scene where everything basically just Oppenheimer is struggling with the idea that he's creating nuclear warfare and he's being interrogated by people who don't understand his work and people who couldn't comprehend his thought process because he's like a whole other level above them. He's so much smarter than them. and he's just there like he's feeling like just all the stress and pressure and the way they handle it is just, just white out the screen uh, to you have like barely anything visible and they crank up this like uh, the static noise of just like a whine like this electronic signal that is just obviously like it, he's obviously like having like a migraine um, as he's being interrogated by US government officials and I'm like this is painful for me to watch uh, just sitting here like it doesn't need to be this intense you can make the message about um, nuclear warfare as potent as it is in this film without taking it to that extreme and I, I watched um, Red Letter Media's video on Oppenheimer and they compared it to 12 Angry Men which is a movie from like 1957 and it's about a jury debating a murder case really fucking good movie because I watched it in preparation for Oppenheimer and yeah. I think going with that tone of a more just a sober, civil conversation about nuclear warfare would have been a much better movie. Um, but I, I feel like with Nolan, he has to take it to the extreme where it makes for great cinema, but at the same time, like it, it's too much almost. I think that's always been Nolan's thing, though. It, from Memento onward, he became that extreme director. I mean, you watch Tenet. And it's all about, it's, it's to the extreme of the main character. You kind of get the sense that he knows everything that's going to happen, but you're along for the ride anyway, and he's going to be shot severely. But the character, the film itself, is going to be shot severely in such a way that, you know, everything looks more dangerous than it is, or it looks more important than it actually is, but it could just be they're doing a holding shot on a building. But because it's shot in such a way, you kind of think, oh, right, this is... Like this is going up the stakes, and then even with his Batman trilogy, like again, it's shot in such a way where it's just everything builds suspense and builds this kind of intense feeling in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I me, think that's what he did for Oppenheimer. But I, th- I agree with you there. I haven't seen the film yet, but I don't really think you need to go to eleven in a film that's about the nuclear bomb. I if mean, it became a bit if it dialed it down a bit and just became more about how basically Oppenheimer reacted to essentially changing the landscape of the human race for several years, I think that might have been a bit more subtle and a bit better of a film. But again, from what I've heard, the film's astonishing. So I mean, there's a... The actual nuclear detonation scene is fan-fucking-tastic. It's... It, they, again, like, it's so weird because it's fantastic because they cut out the sound. And it's just the reaction to realizing you've just unleashed, you've just opened Pandora's box. You've just set human history on the course of 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And no one is ever going to undo what you've just made happen with this bomb tech. And it's, it's this weird, horrifying moment of like, oh shit, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. And the that... toothpaste is out of the tube, that kind of thing. And 
you know, kudos to Christopher silence. Nolan to actually for actually using a real nuclear explosion in his films because he hates CG, so it's all practical effects. And he does it with silence. He knows the impact of sound, and the like. He's a very good director, but at the same yeah. time, it's like, would you just kind of rein yourself in a little bit so that we can enjoy what you've made? Like, it's so it's so good. Like it's it's like I almost think that the shot he does where he say like he hates CG. When I'm looking at the shot that I'm thinking of, the the whited out thing and the the overblown audio, the the, the high static line, I mm-hmm. actually think he probably overexposed the shot, as in he actually told the cameraman, "Film this wrong, film this like an absolute fucking amateur, so that we feel stressed out." And he he did it practically; it wasn't digitally mm-hmm. added in afterwards. The way I'm looking at it, the way that there's certain images and shadows that are still visible in this thing, I'm like. He must have done something practical in the camera, in filming, in like the actual recording session. This wasn't digital, but the the again like it's so good at being intense and painful to watch. The Oppenheimer was just it was a good movie. I think it'll be better for you as like as a viewer if you watch it on streaming, so you can pause it and walk away and take ten fifteen minutes to just like deal with it in segments. Um, yeah. It's actually sitting there in cinema, as much as I love the cameo seats, and I actually found out they can slide a little bit, so you can actually kind of relax. You can kind of lay your, <laughs> your chair back a little bit, which is nice. Um, nice. Using, using that, it's called Love's Anime. Um, but I, like, even then, I'm like, I've been in this chair for three hours. I am, yeah. my, my ass is done. <laughs> so I'd, I'd recommend, actually, when it comes to like streaming or whatever you want to watch it, taking breaks. And just walking away for 10-15 minutes, whatever you you can kind of feel the breaks in the sh- the film because there are yeah. a few. And actually, the the cameo was saying actually when we do the 70 millimeter screening of this show, we're doing a um we're doing like a 15 minute intermission just to let people kind of walk around and kind of stretch the legs. I kind of yeah. wish I'd had that opportunity as well. So I think as a viewing experience, it'll be better when you can take a break. But uh, yeah. the film itself is great. Um, and and then like I went away, got a burrito. An overpriced, overpriced Edinburgh eatery. I won't name names. Um, but for an overpriced, probably quite bland and tasteless. Uh, what my older brother would call a post-wall burrito. Yeah, for some reason, someone's trying. And to make by it... post-wall, I mean when Donald Trump puts up the wall between America and Mexico <laughs> and keeps people out. It's a, it's like a, it's a tapas restaurant in Edinburgh, but using Mexican food. And I'm like, nah, bro, I'm here for the fucking burrito. <laughs> yeah, feed me. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an actual. I've only had one burrito in Edinburgh, and it was. Let's. Do you know the the cold meat that you get from Tesco that you chuck in a sandwich? Yeah. It was that roast beef shredded, hit up, with the tiniest amount of lettuce in it, some minging sweet chili sauce, and some al dente barely cooked rice. Never went back to that place again. The the more I have burritos and stuff in Scotland, the more I miss having arrows. It's Gone but not forgotten. You live on in my memory. I fucking love you and I miss you <laughs> so much. Having heroes, you, you weird little restaurant in Falkirk that made the perfect oh, burrito. <laughs> oh, their nachos were insane. Like, I, I still, I, I'm not a fan of onions, but their chi- roast chicken nachos with sour cream, pico de gallo, all dusted with a little light sprinkling of their pepper jack cheese. It costs you like eight fifty, but. It was good. I told you up for the day, habaneros. 
I, mean, I that's not a pizza. That's not a pizza place now. Yeah, Sal's called, or something. It's like. called Sal's, and I, I walked yeah. past it and I say, "You're not having ours." <laughs> it's not having ours. I'm not going in. I I I wake up in cold sweats, dreaming of the, <laughs> the pork burrito. Ah, uh, uh, I mean, I'm I'm not good with cheese anymore. Can't really eat that in my in my early thirties, but I would stomach that those nachos. I'd fight through it. One overrated burrito later, I went to see Barbie, and I um, I, I was recommended it because I said I'm going to see Oppenheimer, and immediately people said, "But you have to see Barbie at the same time." I'm like, "Right, okay, go for it." Um, I I think it's a good movie. It's it's not great. It's not the all time. It's it's making massive records, and I kind of like that. I don't like that Mattel is saying, "Okay, so we're going to launch our own like movie brand. We're going to launch." The, yeah, the that was fucking weird. And I'm like, fuck, well, that was not the takeaway from this movie. That it's it's a good, it's a decent movie about the woman's experience, and I I like it as a good message to send to young women, like in their teens, late twenties. I think that was like it, that's the market it should be going for, and it went for it and it nailed it. And yeah. if you're watching it as a guy, it's it, there's some stuff in there like it's 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 kind of lazy. In a sense that, like, some of the stuff it says, like, the jokes about men are kind of like, eh, you can do better. Like, I'm sure somebody could go in and really fucking skewer guys and fucking nail us to the cross. This is just kind of, like, lazy in a way that it makes jokes about guys. And I'm like, there's funnier jokes that could be made and you could really fucking nail us. And we'd be we'd be forced to hold our hands up and say, that was funny. It's just this kind of boring, uh, like, the fact that cat calling is a thing. I, I don't know what the experience is for women, but... I have never seen a woman catcalled. I, I don't know. It must be a thing somewhere, but I've never seen it. So I, can't I mean, really... I think it's a, it must be a thing in you know nineteen fifties America with construction workers hanging out and girders eating their lunch or something. Because yeah, like you said, I've never seen outside of very very drunken nights. I've never seen women be catcalled. Maybe it's against like a male ignorance thing, and that's such a part of the movie is that a guy is ignorant of what women goes through. And maybe this again is a better example, but like the idea that men are still out there on the streets being, hey, baby, nice ass. Like, mm, I, I haven't seen that, so I, I can't really comment on that. But like, that's the, the extent of the jokes. And the extent of the joke actually is that a guy doesn't see it. So, okay, fair point. So maybe we're again stuck in this weird kind of meta ignorance. And it's got some good bits. I, I think, though, the, the best parts of it are um, like Barry interacting almost like kind of like an alien experience. The, like real world and like what it really is to be a woman and that's 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 fascinating and fun it's it's jokes about guys are kind of like and eh, you could you could be better you could be meaner and you'd be a lot funnier um but I, I think again like barbie as an alien figuring out how the world works is the best like parts of the sh- of the movie because margot robbie is fan the entire cast of the movie is really going for it with one exception that i don't like but i, I was doomed to not like this guy um but Margot Robbie does a really good job as Barbie, and she's believable as an alien, if that makes sense. Like, I'm viewing yeah. it as Barbies are aliens that don't understand the world and how things really are. Um, I mean, America Ferrara is uh, a, a character in the show. I first saw her as Ugly Betty uh, back in the day. Do you remember that Channel 4 show? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's old school, like early 2000s sitcoms. I really enjoyed Ugly Betty. I thought it was really quite funny. It's quite very camp, very weird, very kind of like um, it's very stage production. But I, I think it was a really good uh, show back in the day. 
and mm. it deals a lot with like if you were an average looking person in the fashion industry how would you handle you know being this close to like the center of the universe in terms of fashion and all these uh like all these double standards that we've got in you and it was very good at the time but her character now feels like that character just aged 10 years down the line like she's now uh, she's went from being like the secretary of an executive in that show to being the secretary of executive 10 years later but she's working for mattel and her rant her uh like monologue about what it means to be a woman today is like like that's one take when you watch it you're like that's one big long fucking like that comes from the soul <laughs> and that's what is the best part of that movie is when it wants to just say on the like to your face this is what women are mad about you're like that's fan fucking tastic um because it was weirdly serious for a movie where at the same time you've got barbies walking around in the background and they're doing this monologue in a, a, a playhouse based on a toy from like 80 like from sorry, 80 years ago but from the 80s um yeah like it's so surreal that you know the set design being actual barbie toys from back in the day and then juxtaposing that to the real world and just say like having them flip back and forward and have it be so like kind of on the nose was actually really good i really enjoyed it it's um it is a bit odd but i mean ryan gosling is great as ken he's just so fucking airheaded uh again like the kens and barbies are like an alien species and ryan gosling sells it so well and what most of the actors do uh i think in a weird way, the best person in the, the film for me is Michael Sarah playing Alan, who's Ken's friend. And it's obviously like he's like kind of like the like Ken's the alpha and uh Alan is the beta. <laughs> he's just he gets it in the face every other fucking scene that he's in. He just he's the butt of every joke and Michael Sarah plays it so well. And there's some fucking like throw off references that are just like okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a good movie. It's not like if someone says, "Oh, we should watch Barbie," it's not the worst thing on the planet. Um, I did see apparently in China it's used as a boyfriend test. So like, if you're uh, being asked, "Hey, do, like if a girl asks you, do you want to watch Barbie with me?" Just say yes, okay? <laughs> it's not the not the worst thing. Um, but I'd, I'd say it's got a weird. Uh, I, it's so weird that like it's a toy from the fifties, and yet we're making movies out of it and having it be this weird kind of philosophical moment in culture is it weird it's so it does have a lot to say and it does do a lot of like really good scenes where it just it slows it stops everything to just say to the camera this is what we mean with this movie and yet yeah. at the same time uh ben shapiro will make a 45 minute video saying it's trash like, no <laughs> yeah but he's a robot and he doesn't understand human emotions like us humans so fuck ben shapiro who gives a shit what that guy says <laughs> weird little man <laughs> yeah weird little robot man I don't mean to diminish him because of his stature, but he's a weird little man. <laughs> yeah, weird, sad, angry little man. But yeah, uh, it's probably not a film that I'd go and see, but it's good to hear that it's not what you think it is, because in a, I suppose in a market where all films are just put out as, yeah, this is this is what this is going to be, to go into a film like fucking Barbie and then have it not all not be about here's this latest toy, or, you know, all about, like, Barbie has to go on a mission to try and find her car or something like that, because her car's been stolen by an action man or some prick like that. It, see, the actual has a message behind it. I, I'd say that's pretty cool. I think we need more shit like that. Not, 
you know, battleships where it's about it's a film about a board game, but they're fighting aliens that also have other giant battleships and fucking Rihanna and Liam Neeson are in it for some reason. I what interests me is that it feels like the the main point of the movie, as, far as I can mm. see, and I may be wrong about this, is that if you it says something about men, I said it does actually have a point of view about like how men and women interact and the idea that, that I think the final point is that we should not be basing who we want to be as people on a toy from the 50s. You should not want to be Ken, you should not want to be Barbie. You should be a fucking person. And I'm like, that's interesting. That's a really good point to make in a movie. And the, the fact that, like, again, like it slows entirely down to have a, a woman pretending to be the creator of Barbie as like a ghost explain to Barbie, you don't want to be a Barbie doll, you want to be a person You, if you do this you'll, you'll experience pain, suffering, loss and heartache but you will be, you will live a full human life if you experience these things. And I was like that's fucking beautiful. And I think that's the, the takeaway from Barbie is that life is going to be painful but at the same time it will be worth it in that fascinating. It was Weird to sit there in the cinema and be like, this is the Barbie movie. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. We had cameos from fucking John Cena as Mermaid Ken <laughs> like 20 minutes ago. And yet at the same time, we're here discussing what it means to be a person. And I'm like, that's that was really trippy. And I really enjoyed it. I think I kind of had a similar experience because uh, I went to see uh, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutants Mayhem, the new animated TMNT film. Uh, I went to see that on Friday. Mm-hmm. Friday? Yeah, getting a confirmation from the man behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, I went to go see it on Friday. Uh, it was funny, so uh, it was at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and I thought, oh, sh- surely there'll be some people there. It won't just be me and my old. They're probably going to see this film. There'll be somebody there that's taking their kids after school. No, we got the entire cinema ourselves. It was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> so... Again, you watch uh, this this new TMNT film, you you go into it thinking this is just going to be them trying to reinvent the Ninja Turtles for a new audience. Nothing's going to change. It's going to be these four turtles. They're going to fight Shredder, and then you know <laughs> they're going to have pizza at the end. It's all going to be good credits roll. But they actually do something very very different in this one. Not only are the turtles actually fucking teenagers, right? which is, you know, in a, a series called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You expect them to be actual teenagers, not, you know, 30-year-old men doing the voices of teenagers. Um, mm-hmm. So they're all actual teenagers. Uh, they are... They're just your regular teenage kids. They want to go up into the surface. They want to, you know, see what the humans are doing, all that kind of, th- all that kind of shit. But uh, Master Splinter, who is voiced by Jackie Chan this time, who fucking plays it brilliantly, Place All the right. kind of overbearing dad who's like, no, 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 humans suck. You're going to stay down here in the sewers. I'll take care of you. You want to be happy, you stay with me. She's got to, they've got to deal with that. They've got to be accepted as, you know, mature enough by their dad that they can go up to the human world and they, and they want to be accepted by the humans, like not as freaks because they are giant walking turtles. Uh, so there's this whole theme of acceptance throughout the whole film. Uh, you know, the turtles want to be accepted as, you know, real independent people by uh, Master Splinter and they want to be accepted by the human world and they just want to have this sort of wider family because all they know is each other and 
they think that all they'll have is each other and you know what, what happens if one of them disappears what happens if Master Splinter's not there anymore that kind of thing so they start they start breaking out and going out into the human world and they start uh, trying to, they go on the trail of a, a criminal who's been stealing all these random pieces of technology and that's where they meet April O'Neil and she's kind of the first human that accepts them and then she says alright you can help me because you know humans other humans don't accept me either. I'm kind of the weird, you know, journalist girl that no one really cares about. And then it's, it kind of keeps bubbling along. Sometimes it's a bit more subtle than, than you know, than it, you'd expect it to be. Other times it's a bit more pronounced where they talk about, oh, we just want to be accepted. And then you get random cameos from, again, John Cena as a Rocksteady, the giant mutant rhino, and then you get Bebop as by, voiced by Seth Rogen. Uh, Rose Byrne is a a, a mutant uh, crocodile called Leatherhead. So you get these weird cameos in, and it's this weird, like cartoon movie, but it's got this overarching uh, message behind it. Of you know, we look a bit different, but yeah, we we just want to be accepted by the rest of you. And that's We're not something I really. People. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's something I never thought I'd see from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. And oh yeah, Ice Cube is Superfly is fucking amazing. Like he <laughs> is funny as all hell, but he's another thing of like his whole thing is he just wants to be accepted. Like, but he doesn't want to be accepted in the way that you know I, I'm just going to be me, and then the humans will like me for it. Like, now I'm going to kill all the humans. I'm going to turn everyone else into mutants, and then they'll all accept me because we'll all be the same. And obviously, the the turtles just going to go. Nah, let's leave the humans as they are. They we get that they kind of suck and they stumble along the way, but we don't get to kill them because we see them as different and they see us as different. We need to find a way to work together and get along. And at the end of it, there's this really cool moment of the humans realizing, nah, these, these turtles are actually here to save our asses, let's help them. And then that kind of sets up uh, the next part of their journey where they finally get accepted by the humans and then they go to high school and then, you know, it just keeps bumping along like that. But I, I, I kind of like films like that, where you, you go and expecting karate turtles, ninja turtles to kind of go in and just kick butt and make a quip, but then you get a, a good message at the back of it. So more films like that. Less films like fucking Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and all that kind of shit. I forgot to mention who I didn't like in this fucking in Barbie. Uh, I never really liked Will Ferrell. I think his characters are shit. It's he's just playing the same manic idiot that I just I'm like. There's no need for you. His character in this is the executive of Mattel, and Mattel mm-hmm. in the Barbie movie takes it in the fucking face. <laughs> really, <laughs> like whole. Oh, they're always shown to be incompetent idiots who've made a disaster after disaster. But hmm. there's something about him and the executives that I'm like, you're too silly for this movie. Where like, if you were just playing Barbie straight and doing all these things, where it's like you just show this weird idea, and nobody la- like you're not laughing at it. But with him, it feels like they're making like a, a Saturday Night Live sketch. But the rest of the movie is like very straightforward, and we'll, we'll show you this as it is, and you can laugh at it as you will. Whereas with him, it's like they're trying to be funny and it fails. But I, I, it's, yeah. it's another Will Ferrell character that just fucking falls flat. I don't like him as a, um, as an actor in his films. I mean, everyone bangs on about like their favorite Will Ferrell movie. Other than Step Brothers, I can't remember anything that's funny, and that is literally because he has his balls out on the drums. That's the that's the funniest part of the movie. It's him rubbing his balls on the drums. That's it. I, I like that you mentioned that your favorite one is Step Brothers. That's actually the one I hate the most. I do not like Step Brothers. For me, it goes Step Brothers, Elf, and then there's that NASCAR movie that he did with John C. Riley. 
Uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah, yeah, that one. Fucking garbage. I can only watch a uh, Will Ferrell in Anchorman because he plays a completely non Will Ferrell type of character. Yeah, uh, and Anchorman is uh, first Anchorman is classic, like yeah. genuine modern classic comedy, and then after that, it's just he just everyone just kind of let him do what he wanted. What he wanted was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he brought the film back himself and was like, ah, oh, shit, we can need to let him do what he wants to do now. Um, but I, I do find it interesting that I mean, we're talking about like the writer's strike and all that, and we have these weird movies coming out where, like, if you actually make a fucking point, you make a really good point. But if you yeah. just make this weird slop that everyone seems to be obsessed with, it's kind of like, hmm, you don't really get a payoff. It's not worth it as, like, a fan of these things. Like, did, like I, I just, I, I don't remember the last time a lot of people are talking about like, the fact that they just don't go to the cinema anymore. I mean, we had yeah. uh, Cineworld in the UK is closing. And that's the cinema that we grew up on, is that we went to Cineworld to see the movies. And we always there was always something on. And yeah, I don't know anyone who's like, I'm going to the cinema this year. Yeah. Uh, people would rather do it, it's anything It's probably else. because that there are that people that used to go to the cinema and now have things like Disney Plus, and they don't, they're not really bothered about going to the cinema anymore, which is which is sad because I know Christopher Nolan is the one pioneering this, and I I kind of stand behind them one hundred percent. You do certain films need to be seen in the cinema, like uh, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, for example. I'd say you need to see that in the cinema at least once. Like that scene with Gohan transforming when he thinks that Piccolo is getting his ass kicked, mm-hmm. fucking amazing to see in uh, in the cinema. Yeah, there's a certain like Oppenheimer, the the bomb explosion. Absolutely need to see that in the fucking cinema. I actually feel like that way a lot about a lot of anime films is that I really it needs to be in the cinema, especially for like shonen films where you've got action, you've got an intensity that like belongs in a room with other people, like just enjoying it as much as you are. And I feel like that's yeah. the the correct way to enjoy certain films. And I, I I do agree that like there's certain things that need to be in the cinema. We're like, talking about like Nolan's one that can do it. Um, it's weird that Zack Snyder is mostly working with Netflix. I think his stuff actually belongs on the big screen. Uh, Tarantino, again, like his last film when he makes it, I'm seeing that in cinema. Like fuck, fuck everything. I'm going there even if I have to take a day off work. Like that's that's where I'm at with uh, like his films. Um, yeah. Who else would I say really qualifies for that? Uh, so Snyder, I'd say if his stuff like again like the, what happened with Justice League and. What happened with that studio and Warner Brothers and stuff was batshit insane. Um, I I can't believe. I, I, the more I think about what happened with Justice League and the Snyder Cut and stuff like that, I'm like, how did that? How did a, a room full of grown ups allow that to happen? Especially when you watch the the Joss Whedon version and compare it to the yeah. Snyder Cut. Um, I just can't believe that actually happened. But there's a few other directors that I'm like, okay, that needs to be seen. A lot of anime directors, a lot of anime belongs like it's, it's it's good it's still good when you watch it at home with the blurry or whatever but mm. like seeing stuff on a big screen um i recently watched a film called pompo the cinephile which is about it's an anime about making movies and it was odd again we're talking about like writer striking stuff but seeing mm. a film about movie making from the point of view of a character who loves movies and in a sense of like it was all he did as a kid and he watched films on their grandfather's lap and that's how they grew up and now they have this deep love of film, they make films now. That was, like, the, the romance of cinema is so, like, it's weirdly ingrained in 
character i'm like i really wish we enjoyed the cinema more but at the same time hmm. i don't think there's anything i'd really want to run out and watch right now yeah Yeah, there's there's nothing that I would, and there's stuff that I'd be like, oh, yeah, I could go and see that. But most of the films that I'm going to see in the next coming month are just re-releases and upscales of films that already came out. I mean, next month I'm going to see the Lord of the Rings trilogy, not all at once because no one has enough time. Uh, but <laughs> you know, each week it's a different Lord of the Rings film, and because Lord of the Rings was just it was a very, very crucial part of my childhood, a very important part of my childhood, and the films were fucking fantastic. Peak cinema, as they say. Seeing that in 4K, or 8K in a cinema, I missed that out the first time, only ever seen Return of the King in the cinema, so, fuck it, go and see them. Yeah. And, and... I, and I'm more excited about going to see old films that are shot, or that are that have been upscaled, as opposed to anything new, because there's nothing new that grabs my fancy. Well, looking at the view cinema, which is Cinema I go mostly, uh, like to see those films there. I go to see that one in Edinburgh. Um, but looking at what's on in Livingston at the moment, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Blue Beetle, and The Meg Two. Right, that's the top tier. <laughs> the Meg Two apparently doing very well. Fucking, I'm I'm here for it. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like it's yeah. So Jason Statham fighting a shark. Let's 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 do that again. Why not? Uh, and then you've got the dive, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Elemental, Haunted Mansion, Phrase. Uh, there's a, a live version of the concert because uh, the view does that where they have like these yeah. live concerts. Interesting. Uh, talk to me from Gamer Eraser, which is like uh, Gran Turismo, it's like a video game movie, and then the Nun Two, so it's part of the Conjuring uh, world. Mission Impossible mm. is still in the cinemas. The Equalizer Three, which is Denzel Washington, and then the Secret Kingdom, which I think is based on a book. Um, but again, like that's all. Like none of that came out this week. <laughs> you know. That's where we're at yeah. with um, cinema releases because, you know, the writer's strike means that everything's in, in like, stalled. And I'll be interested to see what, like, fills the gap between now and now. They say, like, old movies coming back are being re-skilled, re-upgraded and stuff, so where you don't have to involve writers and producers, you just have to just kind of go in and kind of, like, edit the movie in a sense, like, you have to upscale it a bit and maybe add a little bit of extra visual effects or something like that just to kind of, like, yeah. patch over some old issues. Like, I, I think that might be the next couple months, really. Yeah. I'm kind of for it. I, there are certain films that I never got to see in the cinema because I was either too young or I couldn't afford it at the time. I would happily pay the money to go and see that again. I mean, the Hippodrome in Bones are doing an anniversary show in Jurassic Park. Fucking go and see that. Because the first one is the only real good film. It's, right. It just gets garbage after that. I actually I was looking at the, uh, the the silent film festival that's on in the Hippodrome, and mm. the only thing I wanted to see was The Man Who Laughs. But I've already seen that, and it was also followed, or well, it's paired with a lecture by a, a group of people who advocate for uh, like not using villains with scars, because villains with scars have been a mainstay since the 1950s, uh, due to World War II, and Nazis often had facial scarring from fencing duels. And it became the kind of the, the kind of go to thing of like, if someone has a scar on their face, they must be the villain. It just became this kind of like coded thing in cinema language that everyone just understood that if you had a scar on your face, that was the villain. And it's people who have scarring and facial scarring in real life saying, Hey, we're not all villains, we're not all monsters, like cinema is portraying people because of the Nazis to be like this way, to be the villains. And then 
like it reflects on people with facial scarring in real life and it was a really kind of advocacy group explaining that there was like issues with uh cinematic language and stuff it was like this is all i'm saying is that anyone who protests that much at scars trying villainy that sounds pretty villainous to me yeah it's a weirdly like kind of like you don't need a soapbox for this we're not morons we're i don't look at someone with a facial scar and say they must be a nazi (laughs) you know they must be the evil one i'm like no that person had an issue at some point that person had a, a bad moment in their life where they end up with a facial scar. Like I'm, I'm more sympathetic to someone with a facial scar than someone without, in a weird way. But yeah, it was a weird thing of like, oh, but when we show you this good movie, we have to give you a lecture afterwards. I'm like, I'm not a fucking moron. I'm not going to see this. So I yeah. happened to have the DVD. I watched it. I think we talked about it on the podcast, uh, yeah. Man, Man Who Laughs. And it's a good movie, but I'm not sitting there to be lectured by somebody who's like, well, actually, we're not all villains. I'm like, I know. You're a normal yeah. fucking person. You didn't stab me on the way in. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I was at uni, I got invited to a screening of the Joe Pesci film, My Cousin Vinny, which is a really, really good uh, legal comedy. Uh, it's been heralded by people in America, or lawyers in America, as one of the most accurate uh, in terms of the legal process and the legal terminology. So mm. thought we'd watch it. But uh, the person who was going to book us tickets they were reading through it and they said, oh, what does this all mean? They, they passed me their phone. And I was scrolling through it and it says, a live commentary from practicing professors from, uh, I think it was uh, Boston. And I was like, fuck, I'm not going to sit and watch My Cousin Funny, which is a great film. I'll do all to watch it. It's funny as fuck. Uh, Joe Pesci just puts on a clinic for being this oddball lawyer. And I'm not going to sit through that with, you know, someone going, pause it. Or this means that. I'm not going to sit through an entire film where the person in control of the remote can just pause it and then give me a 25-minute lecture on the nature of, you know, habeas corpus or fucking the nature of uh, evidence and hearings and stuff like that. Just let the film rock. I uh, I may have the winner on this one. Um, When I was in the States, I was told, hey, um, like, I was hanging with a friend. It's like, I, I can't hanging out with you that night, but a friend of mine is doing a showing of the film Rent, which is a film version of the musical, which uh-huh. is it's about uh, the gay community in New York in like the 1980s, and I'm like, I'll go see it, and it's like, I'll, I'll go watch this film, a bunch of like theatre students and stuff, and it turns out to also be a like advocacy meeting for the LGBT community back in like 2010 in the United States on a, on a southern uh, university campus. So, like, you watch the movie, and then for, like, half an hour afterwards, you get this lecture about LGBT rights in North Carolina, and I'm like, I don't even have a fucking vote, <laughs> but I can't leave, because then I'm, I look like a bigot, <laughs> you know? I can't walk out and say, fuck you, you showed me this movie, and now all of a sudden I have these conflicting issues about the gays. And I'm like, I, I have to just kind of sit and listen, and they're like, does anyone have a question? And I'm like, this is so awkward, because no one's asking a question. And I kind of want to, like, just fill in the in the void i want to ask something just to fill in uh the moment but at the same yeah. time like it doesn't fucking matter because i'm not from here i don't have a fucking vote i can't vote in favor of whatever political issue this was really about in the end um but i just had this kind of sit there in weird silence i think i asked some weird question about this idea uh, that i had about the movie and stuff and it was like i i just watched it as someone who analyzes films and everyone's like, no, this is a political message. We're here to talk politics. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Your question should have been, I'm from Scotland. Can I leave? <laughs> that that would have been a smart thing to do. Um, I am not smart. 
No, what you should have done was put your hand up, say, I'm from Scotland, can I leave? And if they say no, you jump up at your seat, sing Flower of Scotland as loud as you can while walking out of the theatre. Uh, surely I have to scream freedom as I run out the door. <laughs> as you finish the, as you finish singing Flower of Scotland, you shout freedom. Always sing Flower of Scotland, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, always got I, I, that, the friend who did that to me has been in contact and they want me to, I think they want me to get a kilt for them and bring it over <laughs> to smuggle it into the country for them. So I, I'll be busy doing that at some point next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think we go into the elevator pitches. Are you, are you good to go with that? Yeah, yeah, we're good to go. So I have gone back into the, the annals of history and picked up the YouTube channel of Dara O'Brien. Uh, Dara O'Brien was the host of Mock the Week, which I think it's fair to say is the cornerstone of most of our comedy here um, at the Jibber podcast. And, yeah. Um, Dara has started a YouTube channel. It's only a couple of months old, but I really enjoyed his comedy. I, he's always like a very quick-witted host. I think he has the right blend of being a comedian himself, but also letting other people be funny as well. And that's something that I think if you want to make a genuine lasting impression on people is you, you don't have to be the funniest person in the room. You have to play with the funniest people in the room. And Dara did that perfectly on Mock the Week. And he has a YouTube channel now and it's just posting his stand-up bits, um, mostly from his own solo career. A lot of stuff from Live at the Apollo like 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but I, I really enjoyed Dara Breen and I wanted to just give his YouTube channel a little shout because he's not like an edgy comedian. He's a very funny man. But I think he's got a lot of thought-provoking uh, like comedy bits that I, I think most people will enjoy. So I'm putting Dara Breen's YouTube channel as the, uh, the the thing I want to elevate or pitch to everyone today. And yeah, Dara Breen was always that good kind of blend of, I'm going to say some shit that's smart, but then I'm going to say some dumb shit that's going to make you laugh. He's always that good host on Mock the Week to he let people say their bit. He wouldn't just shut it down, not like you'd see in... You see quite a lot in American talk shows. You see the the guests will try and talk and then they'll just get shut down immediately. Yeah, he's a lot of people in comedy feel quite competitive, but I feel like Dara's got that kind of that playful kind of like it's it's like judo, like we have to go back and forth. We have to yeah. roll together to actually make the comedy work. And I feel like he, he nailed that perfectly. So I, I really enjoyed it. I think that he definitely uh, him and Frankie Boyle, I think, really set my comedy up in terms of like, yeah. how I was as a teenager. Who I am now, especially way more dire than it is Frankie for, for yeah. legal reasons. But yeah, for, for, for legal reasons and you know having to go to work with a tiger on your ankle reasons. Yeah, um, but I, I really enjoy his stuff and his again. You see, like he's he's being silly. He's not being dumb in a way. Yeah, if that makes sense. But yeah, I highly recommend. It's mostly for people who aren't from the UK who didn't see Mock the Week growing up. But seeing Dara on on stage is brilliant. I think he's he's a fantastic comedian. My uh, my elevator pitch for this week is uh, I'm I'm going to stay on brand here. I've been talking a lot about comics, uh, and the person who's been kind of my sort of encyclopedia of comics is a uh, Rob from Comics Explained. Uh, he was the he was the guy that posted the video that told me about the the Dark Knights Metal series. The uh, he told me about um, Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil. He told me about the Batman TMNT crossovers. Every time I want to look up a book, I always check to see if Rob's talked about it, because if Rob's talked about it, he's going to tell you very plainly if you should pick it up or if you shouldn't. Uh, he was the he posted the video talking about Batman Failsafe, where uh, Batman Failsafe is a comic that is very divisive in the 
the Batman fandom right now because there are certain there's a majority of people like myself who just think holy shit that is dumb stupid comic book fun but then there's the more diehard people that just who just keep shouting no that doesn't fucking make sense how the hell can Batman survive jumping from the moon back down to Earth with nothing but his cape an oxygen tank and some random bits of debris I agree that it doesn't make sense but it is cool as fuck and it's not it's not just the case that uh, Chip Zdarsky shows Batman jumping off the moon and then landing on Earth and he goes oh fuck I, I made it safely. He, ex- he goes through each individual choice and through panel by panel, it's showing you Batman working out how he'll survive. So it is complete and utter nonsense, but it is really, really good. And that's what I like about uh, Rob's channel. And it's not just a case of, yeah, go read this. He actually goes into each different panel and his his enthusiasm for it kind of shines out in that. Uh, and he has told me about a book that I'm really, really waiting to come out called DC Night Terrors, which we'll talk about a bit more, I suppose, later when it comes out. But if you want to hear someone who's very knowledgeable about comics talking about the latest uh, issues that are dropping, or if you even want to hear him talking about characters, because he does some character deep di- deep dives, but he, he spoke recently about how Batman is lucky to even still be in print because it was so poorly rated at one point it almost shut down uh, production for a while. Uh, he went in a bit of deep dive about that. So if you want to hear someone just gush about comic books like the way I would do for several hours on end if Colin wasn't here to stop me. I'd I'd highly recommend Comics Explained. So if I remember to do my job, those links will be down in the uh the comments or like the kind of like the description of this episode. And again like I've watched some comics explained. Um I've seen some of his stuff on I think it was the Injustice series. He went through yeah. that because I was looking at that series I've I've seen videos about it and it's, it's cool weird um it's it's very kind of like it's video game logic applied to comic book characters and then the comic book writer said no we will actually make this work and it was it was fascinating to see his kind of take on that but yeah, yeah. i quite like rob's channel as well very good right that is all from us today um if you'd like to reach out to us you can do so on twitter at gibberfish uh or you can reach out to us on an email at gibberfishpodcast at gmail.com but in the meantime i've been calling graham I've been Tom Anderson. We've been talking jibberfish.